Good morning. morning. This morning's scripture reading comes from Acts 10, verses 1 through 48. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common, un- that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he, might, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met them and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. 
Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and made him to appear not only to the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. We're working through the book of Acts because as a, as a young church, we want to understand what the Holy Spirit's priorities were in giving birth to the church uh, at the beginning of Christianity. And here the Holy Spirit launches the early church from its Jewish beginnings into the diverse Gentile world by the ministry of really it, its chief, most well-known apostle, Peter who was a devout Jew, and Peter had to see beyond his Jewish heritage, beyond his religious tradition, for that to happen. You're going to notice that the message of Christianity that Peter preaches is still exclusive. It's an exclusive message that salvation and forgiveness comes only through Jesus Christ, only by faith in him, and because without that message... There's no good news to share. Uh, there's no forgiveness to talk about. But Peter began to see with eyes of faith that God's salvation, it, it really is blind. Christianity is blind to race and to ethnicity and to nationality. And the new, Luke really focuses on this. It seems to have been a very important thing for the Holy Spirit to impress upon the first Christians. That salvation from God's perspective by faith is blind. And I want to talk to you today about how the gospel raises us and levels us and unifies us. How the Christian message raises us up and levels us down and then unifies us. Now the gospel raised up this man Cornelius and his household and his friends. 
He's a Roman centurion. He's in Caesarea. It's an influential port on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the Romans were stationed there. The Italian cohort was stationed there. And scholars say a centurion was similar to uh, a captain in, in our armed forces. Uh, think of Cornelius as a captain. And Cornelius is just a nice guy. He just seems like a really nice guy. And, and Gentiles and Jews respect him. Luke tells us that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms, generously to the people and prayed continually to God. We find out later in verse 22, this is what his friends said about him, his servants said about him. He was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. He's a God-fearer. And and that means something specific in the New Testament. A God-fearer meant that Cornelius was drawn to Israel's God. He was attracted to the religion of the Jews. He admired their faith, their monotheistic religion in a polytheistic pagan society. He admired what they believed and what their, what their Bible said. He probably even adopted some of their religious habits, their prayers, uh, reading the scriptures, maybe even attending synagogue. Uh, but he wasn't Jewish because he, he wasn't circumcised. Right? So as a Gentile, he didn't go, the full, he didn't go all the way. Uh, he didn't go the full measure, and so he's still, he's still a Gentile. He's a God-fearer, okay? He's adopted habits of Judaism, but from the Jews' perspective, he's still a Gentile. Uh, and, and, and that's what God-fearer means in the New Testament. It's a Gentile who really respects the religion of the Jews and the Old Testament and is drawn to Israel's God, but is still religiously and ceremonially a Gentile. So we call that, a, uh, so he's basically, he's not a proselyte, uh, is really what I'm trying to say. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is about to reveal to Peter and to the church, that doesn't matter anymore. Being a Gentile uh, for the community of faith is not a priority anymore. Actually, God's original plan included the Gentiles. When you go all the way back in Genesis to Abraham, right, the father of Israel, God said to Abraham, in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. And the word, the original word there, families, in the Hebrew, it, it didn't mean political nations. It meant ethnic groups. It meant racial groups. The whole world would be blessed through Abraham. That was God's original plan. And, and throughout the Old Testament, you see hints of it. You see the prophets uh, just, just hinting at this. For instance, Isaiah... Isaiah chapter 19 said something remarkable um, to Jews living around 700 BC. In a coming day when God's salvation would fully come, he said, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And so these are Israel's enemies at the time. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. That day was coming. Finally, years later, the Apostle Paul would put it this way in Ephesians chapter 3, and, and Graham led us earlier in reading a portion 
of Ephesians chapter 2. This mystery, the Apostle Paul would say, the mystery that he was preaching about was that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. God raises up the Gentiles at this moment from outsiders to insiders, beginning with Cornelius and his own household. God, uh, actually, I think it's pretty remarkable. Luke tells us that Cornelius was so excited that he grabbed all of his close friends and relatives and brought them to his house. And when Peter got there, he basically says, okay, we're ready to hear everything God's commanded you to say. I mean, I dream of opportunities like that. (laughs) We will will listen to whatever you have to say, Mr. Christian. As Americans, that... That is just something that blows our minds, right? Because we never hear people walk up to us and say, tell me all about Christianity. I'd really love to hear about it. Uh, But it's happening around the world. Becky and I experienced it in Europe. The the, the Islamic refugees, they are discouraged. They are looking for hope. And they are willing to come to just hear the Christian message. They don't all believe. But they are willing to come and hear all that you would have to say to them. So it had to be Peter to bring this news to Cornelius and to the first Gentiles who would be brought into the church. It had to be Peter. You may be thinking, because we talked about the amazing conversion of Saul of Tarsus last week. And you're thinking, well, didn't Jesus commission Saul as, as an apostle to the Gentiles? He did say that. Well, you're right. Saul's still too controversial of a figure. Saul's in hiding right now in Tarsus because uh, uh, non-believing Jews were after him for his life. Uh, so, so Saul is still a, controver- a controversial figure amongst uh, Jews who had become Christians and amongst Jews who were still not Christians and did not want to be. So Saul's in hiding. The world's not ready for Saul yet. It had to be somebody who was a recognized authority. Somebody who is well-known, somebody who is trusted, uh, someone who's, who, somebody who would orchestrate this process in such a way so that nobody could say, that's bogus. The Gentiles are not in. No way. No way. It had to be somebody important for this to fly with everybody. It had to be Peter. Peter was there when the Samaritans embraced the gospel, when the Holy Spirit fell on the Samaritans. Peter was there and, and, and led the scene when, when the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews in Jerusalem at the original Pentecost. And so it had to be Peter so that nobody could look at this and say, this isn't for real. No, we're still going to keep the divisions there. It had to be Peter. But Peter wasn't ready, was he? So the gospel raises up Cornelius, but it levels Peter. It it levels Peter down. Uh, We're we're told that as Peter is waiting to eat, he's on the roof praying. It was a good place to pray in those days. But he gets hungry and he falls into this trance and the spirit of God comes to him in a vision. And and we're told that that Peter sees some, some type of a bed sheet with all sorts of animals in it. That's the vision. And what we're told is this, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. If you read 
the Old Testament, parts of the law, the Torah, like passages in Leviticus or, or passages in Deuteronomy, you'll see that the Israelites couldn't just eat any animals they wanted. There, there was, there was a, a good list and a bad list. There were animals they could eat that were considered clean to them, and there were animals that were considered unclean, animals that they couldn't eat. And that included pigs and bacon. It's very sad. Um, but, but there was a distinction, okay? And uh, not only was there a distinction with food, there was also a distinction with marriage, there, 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 is, there, is a, there are places in the Old Testament where, where the Jews were discouraged by God, were commanded not to intermarry with foreigners from the nations, the surrounding Gentile nations. They were not to intermarry unless, unless their Gentile spouse would convert to faith in the God of Israel. But, but other than that, they were not encouraged, they were discouraged to intermarry with the Gentiles. Uh, that, God made a big point out of that in the Old Testament. Um, now, listen, as an aside, I have to answer this question because people will ask, well, was the God of the Old Testament a bigot for telling Jews you can only eat certain foods and you can't marry anybody you want to marry? You can't marry Gentiles. Um, no, actually, he, the God of the Old Testament wasn't a bigot because the Jews were actually like the Gentiles. Here, here's, here's the reason God does this. See, bigotry and racism has to do with feeling a sense of superiority over another type of person. That's not what God was telling the Jews. God wasn't saying, you are so perfect and so special that you can't, you can't eat certain things and you can't marry outsiders and you can't talk to them and be around them because you're so special. Look, you know that if you are an arrogant, self-righteous parent, you are going to try and protect your children from anybody who would be a bad influence because you think your child is better but that's unreasonable and that's arrogant. If you're a good parent, you are trying to protect your children from bad influences because you know your children well enough to know that they'll be influenced. And so you say to your children, no, I, I don't want you to be around bad influences all the time because I know you and you're going to do exactly what they do. And that's what, the, that's what God said to the Israelites. He said, it's not because you're better than the rest of the world. You're just like the rest of the world. And if you get too close, you're going to be just like them. But I am in your presence. I am your God. And, and, and you need to learn holiness. So in order to learn holiness, I have to teach you some distinctions. Or you will do what the rest of the world is doing. Because you're just like the rest of the world. And that's exactly what happened many times. There, there's a place in the Old Testament where, where Moses says, and you have to forgive me, I keep losing my place here. There's a place in the Old Testament where Moses says to the Israelites, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The scholar F.F. F. Bruce wrote that the Old Testament prophets insisted that Israel's unique place in humanity, their chosen status was because of God's grace, not because of his partiality, not because of his bias. So Peter, now against that backdrop, Peter sees this sheet descended with all sorts of animals, all sorts of animals, clean animals, unclean animals, animals he can't and can't eat. And that alone uh, was irreverent to him. And so he says to Jesus, who said to him, go ahead and eat this. He says to Jesus, by no means, Lord, 
For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, before you call Peter a devout Jew, just doing what he's supposed to do, uh, John Calvin made a great insight into, into what's going on with Peter. John Calvin wrote that Peter's problem wasn't with food. Peter's problem was really underneath the surface with people. Over the centuries, the ancient rabbis and their religious tradition began to overextend their application of the Old Testament beyond the original point of the Torah, beyond the original point of the law. Yes, it's true that that the Jews were forbidden to eat certain foods and were forbidden uh, to marry Gentiles. But but the Old Testament never forbade eating with Gentiles or doing business with Gentiles. But that's the extent to which the rabbinical tradition took it. You must be completely in every way separate from them. And if you were a good Jew in Peter's day, you would have in some way regarded Gentiles as dogs. It's well documented in history. That was the idea. So, so what's happening here, it's, Peter is not all about honest Torah observance. There's a cultural prejudice in Peter. There, there's, a nationalistic, there's a nationalistic pride in Peter that borderlines racism. And he may have not even known it. That's what he's really getting at when he says, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And then God responds by saying to him in verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. And then we're told that this happened three times. If you're familiar with Peter, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? He betrays Jesus three times. Before Jesus died, Jesus then three times reinstates him by saying, Peter, do you love me? And here again, Peter is told three times, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. Peter had a lot of, uh, Peter's idea did not uh, die quickly. Uh, And so I think that's why he had to be told three times because his thinking wouldn't die easily. So before converting Cornelius, Peter, in a way, needed his own conversion of sorts, didn't he? Peter needed to rethink the situation before he was ready to go to Cornelius. So God levels Peter by leveling his status, by bringing his status down and elevating Cornelius's status. Because in verse 26, we're told, Luke tells us, Peter finally enters Cornelius's house. And what does Cornelius do? He bows down and worships Peter. And Peter, Peter lifts him up and says, stand up. I too am a man. You see how the gospel leveled the both of them. Right? Peter, P- Peter basically says, I am not a God in your eyes. I'm a man too. And then he elevates this Gentile up to level ground with himself. God does this this mutual leveling here so that they're able to interact with one another. And then Peter says in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Hold on a second. Now, he's not talking about the Torah. He's not talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about the rabbinical tradition. You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me 
that I should not call any person common or unclean. And he went on to say, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then he goes and he preaches to them about Jesus Christ and he shares with Cornelius and everybody in the house, these Gentiles, he shares the same gospel message that he's been sharing all along to the Samaritans and and to the Jews in Jerusalem at the very beginning. The same message of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Reconciliation with Jesus. Reconciliation with God through the blood of Jesus by faith. So the spirit then, we are told, comes on the Gentiles as it had come on the Samaritans, as, as the spirit had poured himself out on the Jews. And, and then we're, this is pretty interesting. In, in verses 47 and, eight, and 47 and 48, Peter responds to the spirit coming upon the Gentiles. And it must have been remarkable to him. He had not expected this. What he saw in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, what he saw in Samaria, he now sees in Caesarea. And he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is the most important application for us right here. How Peter responds. We must embrace God's saving work by embracing those he saves. When we see God doing something, we accept it by embracing the people he's working in. Peter sees God pour himself out on the Gentiles. He goes, okay, they need to be baptized. They're part of the plan. When you see God working in someone, even if they're very different than you, even if it's an entire group of people and you see God working, he calls you to respond by embracing the people that God is working in and through. So in faith, we can see that God's salvation is inclusive in reach, although it is exclusive in content. The message never changes. There will never be another savior other than Jesus. There will never be any side door into God's presence except by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But the message of that forgiveness is inclusive. It is, it is, it is far-reaching. So Christianity raises your dignity and levels your pride and puts us all on, the, on level playing field so that we can actually see one another from God's perspective. And that's where unity comes from. As the gospel levels the playing field a manifestation of sin, which the Bible describes as a rebellious position, a rebellious outlook towards God, your creator. A manifestation of sin is being blind to your own bias. Sin manifests manifests itself in us as we show our bias towards one another in ways uh, that God never intended. You know, I think with, if you're a Christian, I think with good intent, we intellectually assent to the idea 
that God intends to reach all races and all nations through the gospel. I, I think we give that intellectual assent, but it's, it's a very different thing to embrace that practically, isn't it? Practically, right? Uh, to be able to see past confusing cultural differences or intimidating cultural differences from people that look differently than you and talk differently than you and relate differently than you. It's another thing to overlook ugly memories of, of what we've experienced in contact with people from other ethnicities and races and cultures. It's hard to forget what was difficult or what was hurtful. We have deep-seated fears in us. We have unprocessed memories. We don't always process all of our memories by faith, by the word of God and by his wisdom. There's a lot that's still unprocessed in us of what we've seen and what we've heard. And we acquire, we acquire prejudices throughout our life. And pride, that's the big one, pride. And these all together prevent us from, from worshiping cross-culturally, from, from serving cross-culturally. And what ends up happening in, in much of American Christianity is, I hate to say it, a separate but equal dynamic which is exactly what would have persisted in the early church had the Spirit of God not talked to Peter. They would have had a separate but equal mentality in the early church. Gentiles want to worship God, fine, we'll let them do it. And we're going to worship God here. A guy named Barry Henning, he's a... He's a pastor in St. Louis, and, and he's ministered, as I understand, for many years uh, in, in uh, uh, multiracial churches. And actually, there's a book on our book table. It's a really good book. It's called Heal Us, Emmanuel, and he wrote an article in that, in that book. I recommend it to you. And Barry Henning said, the United States is unbelievably diverse, but still without much deep reconciliation. Diverse but not reconciled. Because reconciliation, he says, involves face-to-face -face embracing of one another in very practical ways. And um, he actually, he writes this in his, in his article. If we're not careful, now he's talking to Christians, okay? If we're not careful, we can read the scriptures with heavy cultural blinders and plug in the perspectives and the dynamics of an all-white, western, middle-class, dominant culture, church, point of view, and believe that we can understand and apply these scriptures to ourselves and to every other ethnic group as well, fully and adequately. Barry Henning is a white man, by the way. And what he's saying is that the church, that, that people in the church need one another, even across ethnic and racial lines, we need one another. Uh, be, because, for instance, I will only ever see the world, personally me, I will, I will only ever see the world as a white, Western, Italian-American, Generation X man. That's, how, those, that's my lens. That's how I'm going to see the world. And I have blinders. I need someone else from another perspective to help me see what I don't naturally see in my own strength. And I think that's an area that we could develop in as a church. Look, I'm going to be very honest. 
reconciliation and justice is part of Deep, Deep Run Church's blueprint. It just is. It's, that's not because justice and reconciliation is trendy. Because it's a fad. That's not why we're doing it as a church. We're doing it because it's biblical. We care about it because it's biblical and because it is practical. And because Christians are the only ones in the world that have a real reason to reconcile across ethnicities and races. We're the only ones that have a true reason to do it. And we're the only ones that actually have the ability to do it holistically and completely. Nobody else does but us. And so it's going to be really important to us as a church. We worship in downtown Westminster. In downtown Westminster, I don't care what the rest of Carroll County looks like. Downtown Westminster hosts white and black, rich and poor. Salt of the earth, Carroll County, good old people, and non-English speaking immigrants. They're all here. They're all living in the streets that surround the building in which you worship. And, and I think ignoring that as a church would contradict the very words of Jesus himself and the clear habits instituted by his apostles in the book of Acts. We have to take it all seriously. So to worship here and to serve here, we, we, we have to be aware that we may all be coming with blinders on, with cultural biases, that make us blind to what's really going on. We, we all come with biased lenses. Peter did. And you do too. And to assume that you have no, that you have no bias. Cultural or, or familial bias. That you come to the word of God. And you come to worship. And you approach all of life purely. Without a bias is just arrogant friend. It's just arrogant. If the apostle Peter had a bias that Jesus had to address, then friend, you do too. But here's how the gospel unifies us so that we can see one another clearly. I want to turn the tables. If you are a Gentile, so that's like almost everybody in the room. We have, we have, some, uh, we, we have a small handful of true Israelites among Deep Run Church, who, who love and worship their Messiah, Jesus. But basically, the entire room would, would qualify as, a, as Gentiles, okay? If you are here today, and you are a Gentile, then the first Christians would not have accepted you. Before Cornelius, if you are a Gentile, the first Christians, the apostles themselves, would not have accepted you. Peter's initial perspective proves that the early Christians saw the world with Jewish lenses and the spirit had to do something about that. So Jesus is praying the night before. I know it's late. I'm almost done. Uh, Jesus is, was praying the night before uh, the night he was betrayed before he died. And and he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays for his apostles but he said something interesting. He said to his heavenly father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, father, are in me and I in you, 
that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed for our unity. Unity not just in your family. Unity not just where you work. Unity not just in an individual church, but you have to apply that across cultural lines and ethnic and racial lines as well. Here's another passage that points this out. Let each of you, the Apostle Paul would one day say, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now remember, Paul was writing letters to churches that were mixed, that were ethnically and racially mixed, and that that were composed of both Jew and Gentile. This is who he's talking to. He's not just talking to you as an American. It was originally written to them who had to deal with this hurdle. And he said to them, he's plural, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's how you do that. He said, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Do you see what's going on? Jesus lowered himself to elevate you. Now you lower yourself to elevate somebody else. Even if that means an entire group of people, you lower yourself so that through you, God may elevate somebody else. Salvation. The salvation that Jesus talks about. Christianity itself, it's, it's blind to race and to ethnicity and to nationality. And my hope for us as a church is that we're going to go beyond just talking about that and seeing it become a reality. And I believe it already is. In faith, let God show you the inclusive reach of his exclusive message of forgiveness in, for sins through Jesus Christ. Um, let's pray. And we're going to, uh, what's the last song, JT? Yeah, yeah, we, can, we have enough time to sing that because I'm not really going to give announcements today. I'm going to spare them from that. Um, let me pray and then, and then we're going to sing. Why don't you stand right now? Father, I confess to you that, that these are humbling words. Um, these are humbling words that we hear you speak to Peter. I, I, I would imagine that he was far more uncomfortable uh, than we are uh, when he had to hear those words. But, but Father, we're listening today. Uh, please, uh, please show us what you want us to do. Show us how you want us to think. May we never compromise the truth of your gospel, uh, but teach us, teach us how to get out of our own way uh, so that everyone can hear it. In your name, amen.